politics, culture, chaos. It's time to make sense of it all. It's time to have a little fun. This is your afternoon dose of sanity. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. So did we leave the dogs behind or not? That's the question. Did we leave the dogs behind or not? Our service dogs. Pentagon denies it, but do you believe anything the Pentagon says? Oh, also, breaking news. President Biden just gave remarks in the Oval Office and did not take questions. I know. I know you're shocked. You're as surprised as I am. I I know. We're, We're all shocked by that. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Afternoon Podcast. Great to have you with us today, with me today. Thank you for hanging out. I appreciate it. Really do. We're getting, I mean... Amazing downloads, reviews, ratings. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, look, here's the deal. The Pentagon did a press conference a short time ago. They only took three questions from their buddies at the all all the all the in the in clubs of the media, the in clubs, and they didn't take Jennifer Griffin's question from Fox News, and she had a really good question to ask, and they didn't take it. Uh, the fact is that the Pentagon knows what an absolute disaster that this withdrawal was. We know this. They know this, too. Everybody knows this. And they don't want to take a lot of questions on it because we left a lot of people behind. It's now coming clear the kind of people we left behind. The United States government left behind its own journalists in Afghanistan. Its own journalists left behind. Thousands of people we left behind in Afghanistan. A, A moral disaster, as the Washington Post put it. A moral disaster. We left behind students and teachers at the University of of Afghanistan which was something we created to try to bring that country into the modern world. And uh, the Taliban hates it because it's education and they want to be in the seventh century. We left behind journalists. We left behind so many Afghan refugees, thousands of the 120,000 people the Biden administration says were evacuated from Afghanistan. Only about 8,500 were Afghans who helped us in the war, which means tens of thousands of Afghans got left behind, which is disgraceful, disgraceful. And yet you have you have Ron Klain, the White House chief of staff today, saying that this 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 withdrawal, leaving behind so many people that are now going to be targets of the Taliban, eh, went as well as it could possibly be managed. Eh, it was as good as it could be, as good as it can get. We are really grading on a curve here with these people. Let me tell you. It's easy to second guess, but let's just be clear. America was in this war for 20 years, and I think any effort to unwind that, any effort to bring our troops out, any effort to end our military presence in Afghanistan was going to be filled with uh, heartbreaking scenes and difficulties. And I think uh, the Biden administration has managed that as well as it could be managed under the circumstances we were placed in. Under the circumstances we were placed in. What were the circumstances, knucklehead? What were the circumstances? You left the military, you let the military go before the civilians, before our Afghan partners, before we evacuated the civilians who were there. You did that. So, I mean, what 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 were the circumstances other than the circumstances that you created for yourself? That you created because of your utter incompetence. So the Pentagon has a briefing today. Now, the, the question, of course, is what kind of questions did they take? This administration is the least transparent administration in history. Everybody said Trump was a dictator, hates the First Amendment, hates the media, going to put journalists in internment camps. Remember that? Jim Acosta penning his dumb book that no one read from journalist internment camp on the South Lawn of the White House. Remember that? I mean, uh, you know, that like, like 
Donald Trump was going to, on day one, suspend the First Amendment, round up journalists, put them in a bus, and take them to, I don't know where, mar Largo. I'm not, I'm not quite, I don't, they never actually said, but he, Trump, you could not get the guy to shut up when it came to a press conference. He would go out there and talk for hours, every day. He would do interviews every day. He'd go out there and speak. He'd just walk into the White House press briefing room. He, you could not get the guy to stop talking to the press. This administration, the president comes out, gives a speech, turns his back, gives you the old back. Hey, America, how's my back? Any dandruff on there? Walks away. Does this all the time. Pentagon has a briefing today. They take three questions. Three. And they don't take Jennifer Griffin's question from Fox News, of course. They take the New York Times. They take the Washington Post. Not hers. Why would they, right? This is a very important point that she made, though, a short time ago, and I think it's worth hearing about the kinds of things that they didn't talk about. Well, Sandra, it was very frustrating sitting in that briefing because the decision was taken to have the defense secretary and chairman of the Joint Chiefs take just three questions. And my question at the end was, how can you assure the American people, given the threat that ISIS-K and al-Qaeda pose and the fact that they still remain in Afghanistan, how can you assure Americans that U.S. troops won't have to go back into Afghanistan? Remember, Defense Secretary Austin was uh, the commander who oversaw the withdrawal from Iraq in 2011. And when ISIS grew uh, over those three years, U.S. troops were sent back after three years. So that's a very fair question. And um, the fact that they didn't take very many questions is an admission that they know that there are a lot of very, very difficult questions right now that they don't really want to answer. Uh, The long statements at the beginning were were very heartfelt, emotional, uh, searing, an admission that nobody feels good about how the last 20 years of war in Afghanistan have gone. That is a, a, a strong admission from the top leaders here at the Pentagon. But they also said that they will spend time looking at the tactical mistakes made oh, and strategic mistakes made over the last 20 years. All of those mistakes were not just made in the last few months, but a very sober and somber briefing, uh, but not a lot of answers to our questions because. We- you know, and, and, and that's the thing. Somber and sober, but not a lot of answers to questions. And then the part comes in the briefing where they're asked the question about the best, their besties, the Taliban. And will, will they work with the Taliban now to get ISIS-K? Now, now, remember something. Biden says his hands were tied and he had to do what he did because of this May 1st agreement and the onslaught of the Taliban that was happening. Now, the Taliban are the very same people that you have to go see if you want to ride out of Afghanistan. You want to get out of Afghanistan? You got to go find your friendly neighborhood Taliban guy who'll get you to the airport, apparently, and get you out of there. It's a bunch of BS, but, but we're supposed to believe that. That's what the White House told us. Oh, no, the Taliban, will, they're going to get everybody out. They told us. And we're working with them, back channels and diplomatic channels. And the world passed a resolution and a harshly worded letter to the Taliban. You better be nice. That's true. The U.N. Security Council, with, of course, Russia and China abstaining, passed a resolution calling on the Taliban to be nice. Don't don't you be mean, Taliban. You you if somebody comes to you and says, I want to I need to get home, you get him home. Taliban meanie pants. And of course, the Taliban's absolutely going to do that uh, because they definitely listen to what the U.N. thinks and all these nations in the world that are run by infidels that they want to. Uh, what's the word for it? Uh, conquer. So they're definitely going to listen 
to the harshly worded letter from the U.N. Are we going to have to work with the Taliban? That's the other question that Jennifer Griffin wanted to ask answer today. But at one point, that question did kind of get brought up. Take a listen. We weren't called upon. That being said, the most newsworthy moment of the of the briefing was when uh, General Milley and Defense Secretary Austin were asked about the the relationship to the Taliban, not only during the last 17 days in which they had to rely on them for security at the perimeter of the airport, as well as work with them closely to try and evacuate these 124,000 people. Uh, that was a very unorthodox relationship, given the last 20 years of war. But the question was, will you work with them in the future, especially if you have to target ISIS-K, knowing that the intelligence networks have been rolled up in the country? And there was a moment where General Milley uh, was asked that, and he said, possibly, even after saying what a ruthless, uh, terrible group the Taliban are and have been, and there, there was no happy talk about the idea that the Taliban had changed their strikes, but a very sober admission that they may, in fact, have to rely on them if they want to target ISIS-K in the future. We may have to rely on the Taliban if we want to target ISIS-K in the future or get our people home out of the airport. The ridiculousness of this is amazing, right? The ridiculousness of this. Of course, of course we have to work with the Taliban. They're our besties now. They're our besties, and we, we let them be in charge of the entire country. So we're going to work with them on getting our people home, on, uh, on, on fighting ISIS-K, and yet with a straight face, we're going to pretend like ISIS-K and the Taliban don't have a similar goal in mind, which is to destroy the infidels. The, 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 destroy the infidels here. Why are we still acting like ISIS-K and the Taliban have different goals in mind? What, as, if, as if ISIS-K and the Taliban don't share that same common thread of being just a bunch of 7th century Islamic nutbags. Like, we're, we're, I, I still can't believe it. Uh, NBC News international affairs analyst Atia Abawi. She found the abandoned Americans in Afghanistan, talked to them on the ground. As you can imagine, they are not looking forward to finding their friendly neighborhood Taliban greeter at the airport. To, to get their baggage and help with the rental car return and get them safely to the to the gate. Uh, they're scared. They're scared to death, as any American would be, as I would imagine you or I would be if we were in this position. They're not they're not running to the friendly neighborhood Taliban, despite what Biden says, because they don't believe the Taliban's actually going to going to help them. Take a listen. And Atia, what about the American plan to get the remaining Americans, those who choose to leave, and the Afghan allies out of the country, to say nothing of all the women, the women journalists we've been trying to get out, who failed to get out. What are you hearing from people on the ground? Uh, it's not good, Andrea, from the people on the ground. Um, I'm hearing men crying on the phone, females crying on the phone. Uh, one woman had her uh, house sprayed with bullets uh, by the Taliban because she was a female lawyer and her father was a colonel who died uh, two months ago. And they're all terrified. Uh, right now, the only hope that they have is that someone's still talking uh, to them. And I can't tell them what's going on because we don't really know. And I don't think the administration knows either. I think that they have plans, but but that is under the impression that the Taliban will accept uh, these plans. Uh, and unfortunately, what we know from the Taliban is they know that they've won. They know that they have the upper hand. And we do talk about possibly them needing Western money. 
but they also know that they have money in deals that can be made with other countries, for instance, China, uh, for exactly. instance, Iran, uh, yep. and Russia. So we don't know what the Taliban will actually follow through with. Yeah. It, well, here's what we do know, though. What we do know, though, is that China is itching to go into Afghanistan and hang out. A- absolutely. To hang out and become friends with the Taliban and push us aside as besties and become besties with the Taliban. We do know that. And Americans are scared to death. And the president's not taking questions. And we just we have we have no idea of what's happening. Here's what I will tell you as well. Today was a big day for pro-lifers everywhere. A Texas law prohibiting most abortions after about six weeks of pregnancy went into effect today after the United States Supreme Court did not block it which is now being described by liberals as the most restrictive abortion law in the nation and the end of time uh, as we know it. Now, you and I have heard for the last several months now, you should be forced to get vaccinated. And ironically enough, I've been saying, as many of us have been saying, but what about the whole my body, my choice thing? My body, my choice. Remember that? My body, my choice. What if I don't want to get vaccinated? You can't force me to get vaccinated. It's my body, my choice. But then they, they kept saying things like, well, no, 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 it's, it's, uh, it's not your choice. For the greater good, you need to do this for the greater good. The same it's my body, it's my choice crowd is now screaming, lamenting this decision as the end of time, the end of days, the end of choices we know. it. Now, of course, that's a bunch of BS. But let's hear what Jen Psaki had to say moments ago at the White House press briefing, which is actually going on as we speak. Abortion. President said in a statement he will protect and defend Roe versus Wade. How does the administration plan to do that? Well, uh, I we put out a statement from the president this morning, but let me just reiterate some of the key points, and I will, of course, answer your question. Uh, as the president said this morning, the ext- it's extreme Texas law blatantly violates the constitutional right established under Roe v. Wade and upheld as precedent for nearly half a century. It's, it will significantly impair women's access to the health care they need, particularly for communities of color and individuals with low incomes. It also deputizes private citizens to bring lawsuits against anyone who they believe has helped another person get an abortion, which might even include family members, healthcare workers, front desk staff at a healthcare clinic, or strangers with no connection to the individuals. This further isolates individuals who are facing this tough choice. And I would note, for those of you who didn't see, people who report, uh, who, who, for these private citizens could get up to $10,000 for reporting somebody who's seeking an abortion. So our focus and the president's focus is uh, to reiterate our deep commitment to the uh, constitutional right, of course, established by Roe v. Wade nearly five decades ago, and to continue to call for the codification of Roe, something that the president talked about on the campaign trail, the vice president talked about on the campaign came trail, and this highlights even further the need to move forward on that effort. Yeah, you see, very yes. upset. Yes, very upset by the whole idea that uh, uh, after six weeks, uh, you can't kill a baby anymore. They're very upset by this. You, you've got to get your, your killing in in the first six weeks, and then after that, you can't do it anymore. And that, to them, is just, my God, how... how, how... So at least now we're hearing the return of my body, my choice, because I've missed that phrase. I really, I've missed it. I, for one, have missed that phrase. As all these people have said, you should not have a right to walk around as an unvaccinated American. Now, myself, I'm vaccinated, but I I believe it should be a choice because it's my body and it's my choice. Uh, And uh, they believe that you should not be allowed to go into a deli 
and order a cheesesteak without getting a vaccine, but that you should absolutely be able to have an abortion after six weeks. And so that's the thing, which I think is is amazing. The utter hypocrisy of all of this when it comes to the idea of the government forcing anything when it comes to your body, your choice. It's and what you're going to hear now going forward is you're going to hear a lot of people say, oh, it's different. It's different. If you're not vaccinated, you can kill me. But uh, but I should still be allowed to. Uh, you know. Kill after six weeks. I know it's going to be very hard to wrap your minds around the hypocrisy of this. But here's what I do know. I do know that the absolute melting down on television on the left, it's it's it, it's it's just amazing. Uh, <laughs> listen to uh, how CNN put it here. Here we go. Ready? Take a listen to this. The Supreme Court, by not saying anything, has spoken volumes uh, about the uh, status of Roe v. Wade and the security of it. We know that the court has, you know, three uh, justices that were appointed by Donald Trump. And we know Donald Trump made it very clear when he was campaigning that he wanted to appoint justices that were hostile to Roe v. Wade and that would overturn Roe v. Wade. And we have to remember, it's not just this Texas case. There is a Mississippi case uh, that involves a 15-week ban, uh, abortion uh, abortion ban. And that case is, is also slated to be taken up by the Supreme Court. I think Roe v. Wade is in jeopardy. I, I Good. think women around this Terrible country case. need to understand that today is a huge uh, wake-up call uh, for us to talk to our senators, talk to our you know Congress people, talk to the president of the United States, because uh, at this moment it is not clear to me that women will be able to continue to make reproductive uh, you know choices about their bodies because men, primarily men, but legislators like legislators men. like those in Texas and other states uh, have decided that they know better. Uh, as it relates to what women should be able to do with respect to their body. And as Laura said, the, the hypocrisy is just nauseating. Can't, uh, you know, wear a mask, but you can decide that a, a woman can't make choices about her body. Huh? Uh, th- this what? is a wake-up call for women and men all over this country. Isn't me not Laura wearing a mask a choice? The I'm Supreme Court, curious. by not saying anything, has spoken volumes about the... Isn't By the way, isn't me not wearing a mask a choice, but you're trying to force me to wear a mask? I don't understand that. I, I really don't. They go, well, you, you, you could hurt somebody else. Yeah, but that's exactly what abortion does. It hurts somebody else called a, a, a baby. I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, also Jeffrey Tubin attacking this as well. Remember something. Roe v. Wade is a terrible case. No matter how you feel about the abortion issue. You're pro-life, you're pro-choice, whatever. Uh, Roe v. Wade's terrible. The Supreme Court of the United States of America just wrote law on the bench. That's all they did. They wrote this three trimester thing on the bench. They created legislation. And that's not how it should be. And if Roe v. Wade is overturned tomorrow, all it means is that the issue goes back to the states. That's all it means. So in blue Jersey and blue Pennsylvania, with the governor at least now, with, with the blue states, it'll be legal and it might be illegal in the red states, but then it might be legal in the red counties. Who knows? But Or legal in the blue counties. Who knows? But the point is that it, it really should not be a federal issue anyway. And that's all that people have been saying when it comes to that horrible Supreme Court decision. It was a terrible case. You really can't justify Roe v. Wade on the grounds of good uh, jurisprudence, considering that the Supreme Court just wrote law. That's what they did. They created this three-trimester theory, and the science has changed since that ruling was made in the early 1970s. And the same party of science, listening to the science, has to realize that the science from then is different than the science now. We, 
we now have the ability to save babies in the in the in the earliest days of pregnancy now miracles that can happen now that could never have happened in the 1970s given medical technology you've got babies being saved at 21 weeks 20 weeks i mean amazing miracles being t- taking place nowadays and it's only going to get better that's the beautiful thing the science is only going to to get better and yet they refuse to suggest the science could change from when that decision was written in 1972 whatever it was that the science then is the same science now and that's settled science and, and every other aspect of science changes except for that science the science that the justices on the supreme court relied on to write their trimester theory their three trimester theory of law is the same science that now in the year 2021 and and and, and of course no logical person can think that and it also shows the absolute hypocrisy of the left they wouldn't if you turned around and you said to them hey here's a paper from 1972 on climate change back when you were all screaming about how the earth's going to enter another ice age they'd go shut up the science has changed ah. but the, you hold up that court case Roe v Wade and they go no nah, science is the same nothing's changed that decision should still stand despite any advances in 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 saving babies lives Jeffrey Tubin rose to the occasion today this to speak <laughs> no uh, zipped up and showed up for CNN today that guy I tell you it's amazing to me how some people are able to survive things and even just show their face again because if it were me and I was having you know treating my body like an amusement park on zoom and I got caught I, I you'd never see me again you never would see me again I'd be gone there'd be it, you know what it would be like a trail of dust behind me like a cartoon character like the Roadrunner. And and they go, where's Zioli? You never, you'd never hear from me again. I'd be probably in Alaska with Dexter, you know, with a hat on, chopping wood, and they'd be like, "What happened to that guy?" And people might whisper, "Oh, he used to be a big radio host in Philadelphia, but he got caught tubing, and then he he fled because his whole thing was you'd never see him again if anybody caught him tubing it, tubing, tubing it. Is it tubing it or just tubing it? I think it's just tubing it. The guy pulled the tubing." Anyway, Tubin rose to the occasion today and uh, and and proclaimed the following biggest worst lawyer in America, by the way, this guy worst lawyer in America. Well, I don't think anyone knows exactly how it will work. But what we do know is why the law was structured that way. Yeah. Tell me. The reason the reason why it was structured that way is that when other states have imposed restrictions uh, on abortion, they have done it by the state. The state has said. You, you, you abortion clinic cannot perform an abortion at such and such a time and the state will punish you will shut you down will fine you if you do what that has meant is that um, the abortion clinics can go to court against the state and get a judgment that says no you can't do that to the abortion clinic uh, state of Mississippi or state of Alabama um, and that's how those laws have worked and that's how the court challenges have worked. What this law has done is that it has created a legal problem for the plaintiffs, for the abortion clinics. Who do they sue? How do they try to right. stop this law? Because there is no identifiable enforcer yet because so the, so the bounty hunters have so not come en- forward. So it's entirely designed to get around the law. 
Well, it's entirely designed so the that the, the courts will not be able to challenge it, and it has worked to perfection so far because there has not been what's called a ripe case, a case that is uh, able to be uh, addressed by the courts before the law went into effect. So here we are on September 1st, the first day since 1973 when a state has been able to ban abortion, 1973 is the year of Roe v. Wade, and the Supreme Court has said nothing. They have allowed the second most famous opinion of the last hundred years after Brown v. Board of Education to essentially be violated, be, be overrun, but they haven't even said a word about it, which strikes me as a real blow against the Supreme Court's institutional reputation aside from the issue of whether this law is right or wrong. And listen, as somebody who knows what it's like to get a blow against your reputation, he probably knows what he's talking about. I, on the other hand, disagree with him. I think that the reality of the situation is that if you make the argument that science has changed, you then have a legitimate pathway to challenge Roe v. Wade. And that would always be my argument on it. That would always be my argument on the issue. By the way, I should mention to you, New York Post, Taliban throws victory parade with U.S. military equipment. Oh, these, oh, these images. Wow. These images of the Taliban going down the streets with our stuff, our tanks, our Humvees, and uh, waving their flags. These savages. I can't believe these people even know how to drive. They're so medieval, so backwards. Right? I mean, that's how I feel about it. Such a damn shame. Uh... Jen Snarks just said today regarding uh, military bases and Afghan refugees. It, aren't you, are you a little bit worried about the screening process considering the bang-up job they did getting everybody out of Afghanistan? Do you think the same idiots who could not actually vet people properly uh, to get them out of Afghanistan, meaning we left so many people behind, the same people that had a, a, a terrible organized withdrawal, do you trust those same people to be able to vet everybody in the United States and make sure that they're not, I don't know, you know, terrorists? Oh, by the way, there's a, a, a teacher now wants her kids to call them extremists, not terrorists. Extremists. You know, like Republicans. Because that's how they view Republicans as well, as extremists. Now, the people that hit the Capitol on January 6th, they're terrorists. The Taliban, they're extremists. That's, that's how you, the mind of a, of, a, of a liberal works here. Jen Psaki telling Ed O'Keefe about the ability now for the vetting of these thousands and thousands, up to 50,000 refugees. A few colleagues of mine have determined that there's roughly 17,000 Afghan refugees to military installations in five states here as of, tu as of Tuesday, while another 40,000 remain at bases overseas. Um, curious how many of those Afghan evacuees have other countries committed to resettling, or what is the status of those ongoing conversations? And will the U.S. resettle, or otherwise, will the U.S. resettle all of those 40,000 here in the United States? Well, um, not to refute the reporting of your colleagues, but just to note, uh, the Secretary of uh, Defense just confirmed it's about 20,000 who have come uh, into the United States uh, at a briefing earlier this afternoon. 
Uh, there is capacity, and we are working towards capacity uh, at our military bases for up to 50,000. Uh, and again, this is not a place where people would live. This is a place where people would go. Uh, they would receive medical care and assistance and get connected with refugee resettlement organizations uh, that are uh, play a vital role uh, as refugees come to our country from wherever they come around the world. We are also working with third countries on what their capacities are. I can't give you an exact breakdown now. It's a very important question, but that's exactly what our Department of Homeland Security, uh, what our diplomatic team will be working through in the coming days, and I'm certain they will be providing updates as we have that established. You, you've talked about this a little bit, others have as well, but there are, of course, concerns among lawmakers, experts who've tracked this, who say in previous uh, arrivals of large numbers of refugees from different parts of the world, inevitably there may be a handful, small handful, who are eventually deemed a security risk of some kind. What right. reassurances can you make about none, none the screening whatsoever. process? And none. The, we have no reassurances. Sure somebody like that doesn't Nothing. make his or her way here. I can absolutely assure you that no one is coming into the United States of America who has not been through a thorough screening and background check process. Oh, and, oh, uh, right. There are many individuals, as you noted, no who one's have not coming been in. through that process. Wait, wait, wait. No one's coming into the United States without a thorough screening process. Except, oh, I don't know, the southern border, for example. But let's stick to the Afghan refugees for a moment. Do, do you believe this? I, I'm, I'm really, I'm asking you. Do you buy this idea that no one is coming into this country without a thorough vetting and screening process, considering that we couldn't properly screen people with special immigrant visas to get them on flights out of Afghanistan? But we're going to believe now that every single person coming out of Afghanistan now screened and vetted screened and vetted process and uh, there are many individuals as you noted who have not been through that process and they have gone to lily pad countries as that process has been completed it doesn't mean that that's because there is a flag it means they have not completed their paperwork and we were working to save tens of thousands of people hence we evacuated them to these third countries yeah, I don't know. Uh, call me cynical to think after the bang up job this government's done with uh, everything regarding Afghanistan, leaving its own journalists behind in Afghanistan, that I'm going to trust them to do the vetting of the people that are coming here who were just palling around with the Taliban 15 minutes ago. Now that all U.S. troop withdrawal from Afghanistan is complete, many stories of heroic efforts to save Americans and Afghan allies are pouring out, each describing one facet of the chaos and dysfunction that plagued the effort to evacuate all those in Kabul who had placed their trust in the United States. Among the most tragic examples is the story of how the Biden administration left behind more than 100 government-sponsored journalists plus their families after putting them through three weeks of hell. Putting them through three weeks of hell. Those journalists and staffers had every connection a group of potential evacuees could wish for, and their expectations were corresponding high. The U.S. government moved heaven and earth to get Afghan journalists from private U.S. news organizations to safety. The organizations include the American University of Afghanistan, the U.S. Agency for International Development, the National Endowment for Democracy, the Humane Society, and several other civil society organizations that are now facing the worst-case scenario for their people, as these groups scramble to save their staffers over the last three weeks. And in some cases, some of these journalists and their families made several independent trips to the airport after spending long days and nights waiting just outside the gates, but never managed to get inside. And now they're stranded. You would have expected that the United States government, which helped create the space for journalism and civil society in Afghanistan over the last 20 years, 
would have tried to do more over the last several weeks to assist journalists who made a decision that it was best for them to leave the country, but they consistently failed to do that. Their initial optimism was rooted in what they claim were assurances that these U.S. government employees and contractors will be taken care of. Yeah, we'll, be, we'll take care of you. We got you. Don't worry about it. We got your back. We got you. Now, some of these groups made bold gambits to get their people out. They secured seats for their people on Czech airliners departing out of Kabul, but they were turned away at the airport's gates and the planes left without them. Groups worked with the State Department to charter three planes and bring the people to Spain, but before the planes could land in Kabul, the Islamic State attacked the airport and the Pentagon canceled all further scheduled chartered flights. So you remember, the administration is still guilt-shaming everybody who didn't get out, but there were a lot of reasons, real logistical reasons, why people could not get out. In the final days before the deadline, the State Department uh, told the groups that their people would be included among the last tranche of locally employed U.S. government staff who had been given special priority at that time. But as the deadline came and went, employees simply never got the call to come to the airport. They were up until the very last minute the highest priority, but the clock just ran out. There you go. Clock just ran out. Our own people. Our own people. Which is absolutely amazing that this would be a thing that could happen. U.S. Agency for Global Media, which is a federally funded agency of by Congress and journalists working for Voice of America and Radio Free Europe and Radio Liberty. They've worked in Afghanistan for years at great personal risk. The Taliban has killed for their journalists since 2016 through suicide bomb attacks. And the journalists routinely receive death threats via the Taliban. And now they're stuck. We left them behind in Afghanistan. Left them behind. But I'm sure that now these journalists who, who've had targets on their back the entire time, just again, walk up to your friendly neighborhood Taliban in the bright yellow vests at the airport and say, hi, Do you, can, I come, can I come with you? Hey, good looking. Can I come with you? It is, it is absolutely such a heartbreaking moment that we've left people behind. And they tried to get out. They tried to get out. And they couldn't because of all kinds of logistical hurdles. But at the heart of it, the main logistical hurdle being the Taliban was the ones in charge of the checkpoints. That is the main hurdle. And more than 120,000 people of all nationalities were evacuated from the Kabul airport as the U.S. military withdrew, but only 8,500 of those were Afghans. A small percentage of the tens of thousands of Afghans who worked for the U.S. government or U.S. organizations and applied for special U.S. visas. An even smaller percentage of Afghans eligible to apply. We, we ditched so many people. We just, we just left them behind. And you know what that means to me? You know what that tells me? That the world is not going to work with us. The, the world is going to look at this and think that you can't trust the Americans. And that's exactly the kind of propaganda that China's putting out. China is mocking us on state-run media to Taiwan. They're, they're mocking us to people. And Russia's doing the same thing. But China, particularly to Taiwan, is rubbing it in their nose and going, you see, don't you, listen, listen, don't trust the Americans. Joining us now to discuss is Democratic Congressman Jason Crow of Colorado. This, uh, he is a former CNN Army a few Ranger ago. who served two tours in Afghanistan and is a key member on both the House Intelligence and Armed Services Committee. 
So we know, Congressman, that House Republicans are expected to use that markup of the federal defense spending bill today to debate Biden's Afghanistan policy. What are you expecting from them? Well, good morning, Caitlin. First of all, I think we should take a moment to say that you know, we woke up this morning and the war in Afghanistan is over. After 20 years uh, in countless lives, hundreds of thousands of Americans served, we wake up this morning and the war in Afghanistan is all but over. And that is a, an astonishing accomplishment by the president. He said he was going to do this, and he did it. Uh, he kept his word, and, and many other presidents weren't willing to do that. Now, sitting here today, uh, we're going to go into this National Defense Authorization Act, this defense budget markup, and there's going to be an awful lot of people who are going to be proposing amendments for political reasons, who are going to be playing politics about this war Monday See? morning playing politics, Monday morning quarterbacking. Uh, I can, uh, uh -huh. tell you, I really wish a lot of those people had paid attention to this war over the last 20 years. Well, can I ask a question? Why is it Monday morning quarterbacking to check on the evacuation and withdrawal of Afghanistan? This guy's playing the same game that all the other Democrats are playing right now at Biden's direction. This is the spin. Well, what do you, what did you not want the war to end? What, what Biden ended the war. Why? You, what did you not, what, you wanted the war to continue? Huh? Huh? You see, I, this, no, we didn't want the war to continue. We, the war wasn't continuing by the way, the, the, the civil war part of this stopped years ago. This was a mission right now a counterterrorism mission is what it was. That's what it was. There's just more lies coming out of these people. But now, any Republican who wants to question this, any American who wants to question just what an absolute disaster the withdrawal of gas it was, eh, playing politics, according to this Democrat congressman from Colorado, Jason Crow. Had a lot of these politicians done that, maybe we wouldn't be sitting here uh, 20 years later, having spent two trillion dollars, two thousand, making, so making it all about the war. So all about the war. I think we have to be very careful about folks Not, who nothing about the withdrawal, right? Who haven't for many years. Uh huh. Yeah, I remember a lot of those Republicans being very quiet when former President Trump was inviting the Taliban to Camp uh, David. No, to no, they weren't. Uh, oh, we should notice. No, they the weren't. They told them not to but bring the Taliban to the White the House. Actually, speech yesterday talking about this, very defiant and defending his withdrawal overall. But he also called the exit a, quote, extraordinary success. Yeah, because he's delusional. Well, you know, several things can be true here. I mean, there are American people I, I, I know are sophisticated enough to understand that uh, we can look at the fact that we airlifted 124. Oh, this guy, you know what? Shut out. up. I don't I can't even listen to this hack. He does say the following, though, He goes, we're going to have to rely on the Taliban to some extent to allow safe passage for those American citizens to get to the airport, to get to the border, to get out of the country. So he thinks that the Taliban is going to help all those Americans left behind. Uh-huh. Right. He's another delusional Democrat here. Uh, Jen Psaki asked the question. President Biden, as I told you this morning on the show, had a conversation with the president of Afghanistan July 23rd. And in that call, he asked the president of Afghanistan to please change the perception that Afghanistan was falling to the Taliban. But the president of Afghanistan said, well, in order for me to do that, I need an air force. I need you to provide air cover. We did not do that. He said, Mr. President, the Taliban is backed by Pakistan and they are marching here and they've got a big army and they've got terrorists and they've got the whole thing all led by Pakistan calling the shots at military command. I need I need air cover. President Biden said to the president of Afghanistan, I need you to change the perception of things as if it was a matter of perception. The president of Afghanistan was making the point. It's not it's not perception that the Taliban is coming. 
So this transcript leaked, and Jen Psaki was asked about it a few moments ago at the White House press briefing. Uh, well, let's see what she says. I'm sure she gives a very thorough answer on it. I just, uh, Donnie, I just want to put a pin in that report. Was the president in any way pushing a false narrative in that call with the Afghan president? I think it's pretty clear. Again, I'm not going to go into details of a private conversation, but what we saw over the course of the last few months is a, a collapse in leadership. And that was happening even before Ghani left the country. What the president has conveyed repeatedly, privately, and publicly is you need to stand up and lead your country. And that's something he said at a press conference in July in public forum as well. Yeah, so we're not going to get into the details of a private conversation where the president told the president, Hey, listen, come on. You know what I mean? Stop. We're not going to discuss that. Why would we discuss that? That would be something that would be, that would show us that we were even more incompetent than you could possibly imagine. All right, now I know what you're thinking. <clears throat> Since the Taliban are our besties and we got to rely on, Americans have to rely on them to get home to the airport, your friendly neighborhood Taliban greeter and all that, when will we recognize them as the government of Afghanistan? Well, White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain waited on that a short time ago. Take a listen. Ron, will the United States be recognizing the Taliban as the government of Afghanistan anytime soon? I don't think anytime soon. I don't know if we will ever recognize their government. What we know is Why not? that the Taliban is, says they're going to form a government. We'll see what that looks like. We'll see what kind of credentials they present. More importantly, we'll see what their conduct is. Do they honor their commitments to allow freedom of travel? Do they, do they recognize climate rights? change as an issue? Recognizing, uh, do they, uh, do they have mask mandates and here. vaccine requirements and vaccine passports? Ron, those, are, United... those are some of the things they're going to be looking for. Really, if the Taliban does not take climate change seriously, then we're not. We're going to have a. We're going to have a problem. The Pentagon's John Kirby, by the way. Don't worry about all those helicopters we left behind in Afghanistan. Don't sweat it. You know why? These idiots don't know how to fly them anyway. What are you worried about? Oh, he really said that today. He said that today. He said, "Don't worry about the helicopters and the because all these images now have come out of Taliban fighters coming out in military uniforms. I told you about the parade that are happening, and and everybody is now turning around and going." Dude, they got so much of our stuff. What's going on here? They got our stuff. They got helicopters. They got they got guns. They got and you can tell because they're all posing with them. So what's going on with this? These are these are big pieces of equipment here. And it's a real problem for a lot of people to look at this and say the Taliban should not have this stuff. But don't worry about it because the Taliban can't fly this stuff anyway. And we know that certainly nobody from any other country in the world can show them how. And don't worry about it, because it's not like they're going to sell it to those countries anyway. And don't worry about it, it's not like they're going to sell the technology to anybody. So, yeah, we know they're a bunch of 7th century, you know, D-bags and all, but don't, don't sweat it, because they can't fly the stuff. So I feel better watching them parade around with our military vehicles. You? That makes me feel so much better. I, that, nothing to worry about. It's all good. They can't fly these Blackhawks. What are you worried about? You little worrywart, you. Stop it. Uh, all right, here's the thing. Uh, did Biden know about the Kabul terror attack? That is the question. Did he know? That is the question. That seems to be coming out. More and more reports of this now. Uh, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense Roger Pardo Moore, the DOD had foreknowledge of the Kabul bomber and denied permission to fire to the Predator drone that had a lock on the bomber. Now, that is, if this is true, this is some major news, that this could have been prevented, and we did not prevent it. If this is true, and again, I, I, I can't verify the authenticity of this. I don't know. But what I do know, though, is that if this is true, 
This is a very, very damning allegation that's being made here. A very damning allegation from the former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense. Lo que se está diciendo de gente que participó es que los, eh, eh, el, el Departamento de Defensa ya sabía quién iba a poner... Well, clearly it's not in English and I don't speak, uh, you know, whatever that, that guy's speaking there. But if that's true, that the Secretary, that they had advanced knowledge of this, then these are some serious allegations that we'll have to find out. He's the former Assistant Secretary of Defense for Western Affairs. Because don't forget, there's coordination between other uh, countries in all this stuff. So that's going to be a big controversial story for tomorrow. Last thing I'll leave you with today, Hunter Biden, the artist, the Picasso of our age. When the president of the United States today, his dad, met with the uh, president of Ukraine, uh, did Hunter come up? Did, did the artist come up? Did the artist known as Hunter Biden come up today? Yes or no? Broad question about the Zelensky meeting that's underway. Um, just the, the events, demands, phone calls that led up to the 2019 impeachment. I'm just wondering, uh, did they factor in any way into the way the White House prepared for this meeting, specifically the fact that Hunter Biden was a key part of those conversations with the last administration and Zelensky? And did President Biden expect in any way, shape, or form to address that dynamic in today's meeting? No. Jeff? No. No. Uh, he was not asked about Hunter's artwork. He was not offered any of Hunter's artwork, any of Hunter's stupid paid-by-number artwork or that spit art that he did, you know, where he, like, spit through a straw or whatever the hell that was. I don't even know what that was that he got half a million dollars for. Just, like, you know, through a, like, blowing through a straw, like, you know, blowing because that's, you know, Hunter Biden. No. The answer is no. No. No questions today to the Ukrainian president. At least not in the Oval Office. Am I right? Huh? Am I right? Just saying. All right, have a great rest of your day today. Be careful out there, kids. Trust Mama Zioli's advice. Be careful, baby. Apparently, it's going to be very, very wet and very, very... uh, We got tornado warnings. Get the ark and get the hell to Florida. I don't even know what we're doing here anymore. I really don't. It's always, to me, just amazing that we're still here, isn't it? The taxes and everything else. Ah, beautiful. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day. See you tomorrow morning.